Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year, and this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Mike, meet everyone. Everyone, meet Mike. No, no, no. Don't wave. He can't see. You're just making this awkward. Also known as Miracle Mike, Mike the Headless Chicken was a plump five-year-old cockerel when he was unceremoniously beheaded on the 10th of September, 1945. Farmer Lloyd Olson of Fruta in Colorado did the deed because his wife Clara was having her mother over for dinner that night, and Olson knew she'd always enjoyed a bit of roast chicken neck. With that in mind, Olson tried to save most of Mike's neck as he lopped his head off. But in doing so, he accidentally made his axe miss Mike's juggler vein, plus one ear and most of his brainstem. And, to his surprise, Mike didn't die. In fact, Mike, the headless chicken, stuck around for a good 18 months without his head. Immediately after it happened, Mike reeled around like any headless chicken would but soon settled down. He even started pecking at the ground for food with his newly minted stump and made preening motions. His crows had become throaty gurglings. Olson, bewildered, left him to it. The next morning, when Olson found Mike asleep in the barn, having attempted to tuck his head under his wing, as he always had, the farmer took it upon himself to figure out how to feed this unwitting monstrosity. Mike had earned that much. All Olson had to do was deposit food and water into Mike's exposed esophagus via a little eyedropper. He even got small grains of corn, sometimes as a treat. Mike's unlikely survival has everything to do with how his skeleton was shaped. Wayne J. Kunzel, a poultry physiologist and neurobiologist at the University of Arkansas, said that because a chicken's skull includes two huge holes for holding its eyes in its place... Its brain fits snugly into the remaining space at a 45-degree angle. This means you could slice the top bit of the brain off while still leaving a good portion with the cerebellum and the brainstem behind. Because the brain is at that angle, you still have the functional part that's so critical for survival intact. That Mike's cerebellum was positioned below his massive eye holes and was spared by Olson's axe means he was still perfectly able to perform basic motor functions and breathe. He was just a little bit more clumsy now because, well, you know, he had no eyes. Mike was so unfazed by the whole experience that Farmer Olson decided to hit the road and take his miracle file on a national tour. He was featured in Time Magazine and Life, got his name in the Guinness Book of World Records, and had his own sideshows, giving the American public the chance to meet Mike the Headless Wonder Chicken. Mike even had his own manager, who must have done a good job because he made Olson an absolute fortune. At the height of his fame, Mike was making $4,500 a month and was valued at $10,000. 
His success resulted in a wave of copycat chicken beheadings, though none of the unfortunate victims lived for more than a day or two. Not that Mike knew what was going on, but if he could see the part of the sideshow and photo shoots where Olsen or his manager would hold up his dried, severed head next to his neck, he probably would have been pretty offended. And what would have made things worse was the fact that he would have known that it wasn't even his head and wouldn't have been able to say anything about it. The reality is, Olsen's cat actually ran off with Mike's original head. It's almost a given that with all this fame and all this fortune, something tragic was going to happen in a nondescript motel room to turn all dreams into dust. The national tour had taken Mike and Farmer Olsen to Phoenix, and as they were hanging out in a motel room, Mike was snacking on some corn bits, but then he began to choke. Lloyd Olson, to his horror, realized he'd left the eyedropper at the previous day's show. Unable to clear his airways, Mike, the headless chicken, choked to death. Even headless chickens, it seems, have no business flying that close to the sun. Not that he had a terrible life in his beheadedness. According to the official Mike the Headless Chicken website, in the 18 months that he spent without his head, he grew from a mere 2.5 pounds to almost 8 pounds. In an interview after his death, Olson said Mike was a robust chicken, a fine specimen of chicken except for not having a head. Olson took Mike's body to researchers at the University of Utah for an autopsy who confirmed that a blood clot in his neck had prevented him from bleeding to death when he was beheaded. They still love Mike in Colorado. Every third weekend of May... Locals will hold an annual Mike the Headless Chicken Festival, where they can enjoy music, contest, and food, which is what he would have wanted. Mike just seemed like that kind of guy. Now, the story I've just shared with you is absolutely true. And by all accounts, this chicken was examined at university as well as being taken on the road to lots of places. Originally, I saw this story when I was thinking about the idea of how unreasonable it would be for Shiz in the Book of Mormon to get up on his hands after having his head lopped off. And, and I went looking for evidence that mammals or similar types of animals could live without their head, at least for a little bit. And while I recognize that um, chickens, when their heads are chopped off, they... They'll run around for a while, hence the phrase running around like a chicken with your head cut off. They eventually, within a minute or two, will die. But humans, this this behavior is simply impossible. That the moment the head is cut off of a human, within a second or so, the body is incapable of doing any kind of organized behavior. And so I thought after sharing this story with you that we could talk a little bit about that, but that's actually not the direction I want to go. Um, today is Sunday, July 24th, Pioneer Day. I thought instead I would recount to you my experience in church today. You can decide if there's any similarity between that story and this one. But we go to priesthood today. It's the third hour of church, and, and I'm sitting in priesthood, and the gentleman who has the lesson is not there. He was out of town, and somehow between him and the priesthood leaders, a reassignment of who was to teach never, never happened. And so the member of the high priest group said, well, I mean, what, what can we talk about? How about we talk about the apostasy and the restoration of the priesthood? 
And so that discussion got about three seconds in when a gentleman in the back of the room raised his hand and said, I've actually got a similar lesson and prepared because this gentleman's in the Sunday school presidency. And he said, if you just, if you would, wouldn't mind entertaining me, I would love to practice this lesson on you guys as I'm hoping to use it at some point on the youth. And so it bailed the other priesthood leader out. And, and so he said, sure, please, by all means. And, and this gentleman goes up to the front of the room and begins to teach a lesson on the dispensations of the gospel. He goes through each dispensation, puts them up on the chalkboard with lines and, and names and different data points. And he starts talking about how long each dispensation lasts, how long each person within the dispensation lived, and how one dispensation led to another. And and as you can imagine, I'm sitting there and I get through about the first four dispensations and I'm just frustrated because I just don't believe that people lived to 900 years old before modern medicine and they certainly don't live to that even with it. And Several other things, I mean, with the first dispensation from Adam to the end of that dispensation was only six generations. And this idea that all of these older men in this room, they were shaking their head in agreement and they were asking questions like, how, how old did Adam live to be again? And, and please help me out. Help me understand when, um, Enoch, you know, who he got the priesthood from and, and they just went from question to question that that seemed to impose that these men believed this was a really true natural timeline. And I'm sitting there just frustrated because there's no space in this classroom, in this environment, for anybody in the room to hold less than a literal view of these stories. But being who I am and realizing that somebody has to create space so that people don't go through the rest of this class just taking for granted that this is the way it has to be, I raised my hand in, in the instructor calls on me and I said, I, I don't want to be disruptive. I'm, that's not my goal. But when I look at what you've got up here on the chalkboard, I simply can't make that work. I can't. And for someone else in this room, perhaps who cannot make that work, I just want you to know that I take these stories figuratively. And then I, um, proceeded to, to read a comment out of the LDS newsroom and and this is found, it's a, it's reverence for the Bible. It's the LDS Mormon newsroom, and there's two paragraphs, and I'll just read part of it. It says, there is a broad range of approaches within the vast mosaic of biblical interpretation. For example, biblical inerrancy maintains that the Bible is without error and contradiction. Biblical infallibility holds that the Bible is free from errors regarding faith and practice, but not necessarily science or history. Biblical literalism requires a literal interpretation of events and teachings in the Bible, and generally discounts allegory and metaphor. And the Bible as literature, educational approach, extols the literary qualities of the Bible, but disregards its miraculous elements. The church does not, and this is quote, the church does not strictly subscribe to any of these interpretive approaches. Rather, in the words of Joseph Smith, it regards the Bible to be the word of God, as far as it is translated correctly. And so there's certainly room within Mormonism to hold a much more figurative view. We've touched on that several times in the podcast. But today, I thought I would just close by sharing with you that I find it tough that when I go to church on Sundays and I have deconstructed everything and I'm just wanting Mormonism to become something that's actually somewhat reasonable. And yes, I get it that a certain amount of faith will be needed 
but that it's somewhat reasonable, somewhat rational, somewhat really truly plausible. And in that kind of space just isn't there, and namely because everyone else in the room simply cannot grant that kind of space. At the after I made my comment, it was obvious that there was an uncomfortability in the room. And and sadly in the closing remarks, the teacher made a comment that there are apostates in the church who are trying to integrate false doctrines into the church. And it, and I wasn't sure he was talking about me, but it sure left me wondering if he was. And and sadly, like I just want a church where as an intelligent, critical thinking person I can walk in and at least have space for me to continue belief. That that I can't be a headless chicken anymore. That I simply can't go into church and have my head lopped off and just keep walking around and breathing and taking naps. And and so I hope you enjoyed the the true story of Mike the Headless Chicken. But I hope also too that you won't settle for being a headless chicken in the three hour block. Like I feel like this progressive Mormonism is gaining momentum. And I feel like the church is having to come to grips with that in the very here and now, a ton of people are becoming disillusioned and many of them are even leaving. And I feel like it's at a critical mass that something's going to happen soon. And so it's my prayer that each of us will go back into our classes. And, and if you can, if there's, if there's any amount of space there, or if you're bold enough to create it yourself, might you be empowered to raise your hand? Might you be empowered to constantly push back, to raise your hand, to give insight, to give an alternative view and opinion, and to help us as a church to move beyond just being a bunch of headless chickens who just repeat the things that we've been told? It's my prayer that you'll help us be more thoughtful, that you'll help us use our brains, that you'll help us be critical thinkers, and that my children and my children's children will have a Mormonism that I can be proud of. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Never hear